Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am extremely excited about this episode. We, This is one of my all-time favorite things to talk about. And uh, the way that Ryan has broken this down to actionable advice is unlike, and I truly mean this, it's unlike anything that I've seen in, in my career. So I think, I think this is a really impactful episode. Um, if you like what we're talking about today, it would really mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. If you have any questions, obviously leave a comment below. We're monitoring the comments and we can uh, you know, answer any questions that you have there. Um, the topic of the show is is about your money today and answering a, a very specific question. So I'll give a little back, bit of background and then I'll let Ryan kind of tell the story here because it's 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 a pretty cool story. Um, in in finance and what advisors do a lot is there's lots of different methods for planning and, and projecting and helping clients uh, feel good about their financial situation or know what to do more of or what to do less of. And there are dozens and dozens of approaches. Each person you talk to will have a different one. But after Ryan's time in the trenches, um, he, he kind of boiled it down to two really important questions, really simple questions. So I'll let him take it from here. But that's kind of the essence. We'll tell you the story of how he came to this, and then we're going to do a deep dive into the first of the of two questions here. Well, in about 20 minutes, I'm hoping that everybody walks away and gets the best of what I traded 10 years of my life for, Jackson, um, which is exactly how long it took for me to learn by process of elimination that there really are only two questions that matter. Um, and I had this wide-eyed, oh my gosh, Wall Street, there are so many questions to figure out. And there are. And, and, and if you can benefit from somebody who's been down the road and who's coming back, as the old proverb says, I want to ask that guy or that gal. So when I was ready to barrel into the doors on Wall Street in 1996, um, they were slammed straight in my face with, no, we're not even going to interview you. We don't talk to people your age. We don't care what your ideas are. Um, so a little barroom trivia on your partner here that you know, um, I've never had a resume in my career. <laughs> I've never wanted another job. My biggest hurdle was getting the first job. So without a resume, without an interview, I had to go in there and convince somebody just to let me visit with them, which is how it started. And after sneaking a peek into the biggest offer I could ever imagine that day, would you like to start in the mailroom? I said yes, and the minimum salary and my $500 a month all bills paid apartment was covered and off. <laughs> To the races i went with my one suit from sears that i was so proud about that by the end of that first day i looked like a coal miner my job was to to put these giant scuba sized tanks of whatever that carbon print the old what do you call that it's like some I don't know. dusty stuff i don't know yeah whether well, the, the old-fashioned printers i'm sure it's not real esg friendly <laughs> um but i, I would print thousands and thousands of pitch books, presentations for all the advisors and brokers. Um, and I did not always correctly get it in there, which is why I ended up getting dirty. 
by the end of my time on Wall Street, when I left to start our own firm, independent of all of those products, I had learned by process of elimination that all of that confusion, and let's be clear, manufactured confusion is a big business on Wall Street. Um, there really are only two questions that real people, real families want to have answered. Am I going to be okay? So save all the, the charts, the fancy jargon, the studies, the optimal analytics, and if something goes bad, am I going to be okay? That's question number one that I wanna dive into with you and we're gonna share what we've learned. And it is actually far simpler than anybody wants you to believe. They're simple organic ingredients. Anybody can do this on their own and or with a guide and we're happy to help with either. So I think that that whole visual is funny. Let me just imagine you in a suit covered in dust or ink or whatever it is. You got a front row seat to every complex fund and strategy and every new thing that's coming out. You got all the prospectuses and then you just kind of walk out of there, throw it up in the air and say, no, no client I've ever talked to cares about any of this stuff. Besides, well, my, my, my best clue, by the way, was by the end of that time. So this is 2006. The disclaimers were longer than the facts or the research. And that's because Wall Street had gotten itself into all sorts of trouble, which it will again, um, because anything that has been manufactured or invented, we don't actually need as investors since I started. All the simplest, most organic ingredients, I mean, if you turn the back of a, of a jar on, of anything you pull off with preservatives in the grocery store, I don't know what like 93 things of those are on the back, but I know it's probably not good for me. The same thing applies here. I'm not trying to pick on a specific water company, but there's a bottle of water company where you look at it and you're like, oh, I, I think I know what's in this water, you know, and you read the label and you're like, I don't, I don't get this, you know? So it, it's a process of kind of boiling this down to just answering questions. And the, the main question we're gonna talk about today, am I gonna be okay? You've been able to boil it down to four legs or four components. And I think we just go one by one and the aim of this really is to just make this as simple as it can be because money management and financial planning, there's business, like you said, in making this complex. And the good news is that it doesn't need to be complex. It's just hydrogen and oxygen to make water, right? So the first one, the first leg of the four parts inside of this is money removed from risk. And if you you think, let's paint the picture a little bit. And, you know, when, when you're building a portfolio, you've got different buckets and different types of accounts. And inside of those, you've got different strategies. And we're trying to make this as simple as you can. There are a few layers here, but money removed from risk. Talk about what that means and why that's important and what exactly we're getting at there. And we'll talk all the way through this entire leg of, of one part of answering the question, am I going to be okay? In 26 years on Wall Street and then now running our own independent firm together, the one question that's never been answered correctly, unfortunately, by any investors when we first begin visiting with them is I'll ask plain and simple, what portion of your nest egg of any size at any age, doesn't matter, what portion do you think is completely removed from harm's way? And that question has never been answered correctly and it's not individual investors' faults. It's stories that have been told. 
and it is confusion. So when I say remove from harm's way, and when I want to answer our question of how do I know I'm going to be okay, when my head hits the pillow, knowing that some, any portion, is completely removed from harm's way will let somebody start to sleep at night. Figuring out how much is enough, we'll talk about after we cover this, but how much is completely removed from harm's way, and it's not, I guess the biggest and most confusing part of this is what's been described as conservative by our industry. Almost every one of those products is not risk-free. It's some version of making somebody feel good. And I don't want to go in to my doctor ever, and the conversation starts with, how much risk do you feel like taking today, Ryan? What kind of shot <laughs> are you in the mood for? But that's the first question that advisors are trained to ask. What is your risk tolerance? And then they fit something. That, that's not how this should work. There are only a couple of risk-free places for my money and your money and folks that are counting on us to put that have absolutely no question of the return of my money. The problem is even with conservative investments, most people want to talk about the return on their money and that's not safe money anymore. So bond funds, yield products, Frankenstein funds, and I call them that because they keep changing especially with lower yields available. How are we going to satisfy the masses who are hungry for more yield? What are we going to stuff in there? Some of those ingredients that you don't want on the back. And even including outside of the investment world, real estate is now taking the place of a lot of former safe money. I love real estate. We both believe in investing and we'll share transparently why I think it can fit in everybody's playbook. But let's be clear. None of those things guarantee you the return of your money or a risk-free stream of income. So just starting right there of what safe and risk-free is not, all of a sudden that, oh, I didn't realize that fixed income bond fund, I actually could lose 20% of my money in one quarter. If rates change. Those kinds of conversations are important to have. So I want to, I want to be clear here because and I think this is really important. This is a, a differentiating thing about us over uh, or compared to a lot of other advice out there. Individual bonds do qualify certain types of individual bonds. When we're talking, you log into your account and you own a bond. You, you don't own a bond fund. You own a bond. They qualify. And can you talk about the difference of why certain type of individual bond fits in that safe money category? helps you answer the question, am I going to be okay, and why a bond fund? And I know, you know there's a lot of opportunity to get into the weeds here financial-wise, but the difference, because a lot of people are going to say, you know, I log into my account, I'm in a 60-40 portfolio, I got 40% in safe money. It's not really the case. When you dissect the, you see what I'm saying? So let's talk about the difference there, because I think this is a really under misunderstood topic. So 10 years of every single presentation and 150 page plans boiled down into, I only own, anybody that trusts us only own four different ingredients that qualify in my mind, in your mind as risk-free. A guaranteed bond, that's a treasury, that is a insured municipal tax-free bond, a pension, either corporate or personal. And by the way, the CD is qualifies as a bond too, so a bank CD, Treasury, Muni, um, those 
are the only versions of risk-free, interest-bearing, safe, guaranteed to get your money back, everything else, and they're not all wrong, they're not all bad, but just to be clear and answer your question, if a bond fund owns the exact same tax-free bond that you and I own in our own account, their performance is dictated by investors coming in or out, forcing the bond fund manager to buy or sell. If rates go up, the bond fund value, if you want to get out of it tomorrow, will go down. Triggers costs also, triggers taxes. The other thing about all of these products, especially some of the Frankenstein funds that include leverage to make up for that yield difference, is as much as all of this sounds boring to most people, and I hope they're hitting subscribe, not fast forward. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say two things, because you're about to get some dessert here in a second. So broccoli before dessert is what my five kids have been taught. In the investment world, it should be no different. It absolutely should be boring or it's not risk-free. <laughs> so having something that's not going up in your portfolio is extremely important. The ability to make risk-free income by removing taxes, risks, and costs, two or three percentage points a year on most cases where we look at all of those allocations and just strip out the bare ingredients, do two or three percent per year on top of any yield or returns you're getting for the next 10 or 20 years, and you didn't have to take any risk to remove those friction points that are real and they're hidden sometimes. Jackson, as you know, because we look at them all the time, they're, when we're asked to, hey, is this the right thing to be? It's not the wrong thing, it's okay, but you know your costs alone are in excess of the yield. There's a lot of bond funds today where that's the case. Nobody, if they understood those ingredients on the back of that jar in their right mind, would say yes to that. So that's what we're here to hopefully declutter. Yeah, I think that that's important. So a individual municipal tax-free insured bond is not the same as owning shares of a fund that then owns tax-free municipal insured bonds. One of those is a risk we're not willing to take, and one of those is qualified as, as safe money. And I know that that may be hard to understand, but it has to do with the mechanism of how a fund works, including tax liability that it creates liquidity issues that it potentially could go through, the share price of the fund moving, having nothing to do with you, complete, completely separate from your perfect plan, your position in a bond fund can be dictated or your performance by other investors that hold that same fund and how messed up their financial plans are. So it's important to dissect this because what we've been trained is right in the sense of what we know safe money is, but when you package it in together, it creates this under-appreciated like, risk that a lot of people are, are blind to, which increases portfolio risk and, and can jeopardize the answer of, yeah, you're going to be okay or perhaps not. You know, there might be some risk. Well, and as you described perfectly and even more simply than me, is safe money before sacred or speculative money. And to be clear, our version of broccoli which is truly risk-free, you will absolutely not make quite as much as your next door neighbor that found one of these higher yielding products, whether it be on Wall Street or some deal his brother told him about, or maybe even some good real estate deal. 
But just to be clear, the liquidity and the lack of roof that ever needed to be repaired or maintenance or hassle or not sleeping well at night, give me the organic broccoli because then we can take all of the risk and get even more upside outside of that account. It's just that when you like my uh, now this at this point, I hope there's one less subscriber that my wife has turned it off because it's her family that puts the Velveeta on top of the broccoli over the holiday <laughs> and then some sort of crumblage. And I don't know. And I just say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> after we have the broccoli, after we have the true safe money, I think the most underestimated piece of am I going to be okay and answering this one of two, only two questions. And if you can answer these, am I going to be okay and how much is enough, which we'll discuss later, I think you will have uncommon peace of mind. I know it for a fact. I've seen it. I think the most underestimated last piece of knowing am I going to be okay is even less exciting until you really get your head around what peace of mind will start unlocking and bigger opportunities. And that is a big old bucket of cash contingencies. Um, it's been proven with a lot of brain studies by people smarter than me in the science and medical community that kind of talk about behavioral finance and actually study that more money doesn't actually make people happier. And I've always questioned that just a little bit. I think there is a threshold where it stops making you happier. But I do think a little bit more, especially done the right way, I've seen it make a lot of people happy, but actually more cash gives peace of mind even more than a little bit in your investment accounts. And I know it's true. So having a cash contingency bucket, it's not just for the rainy days. That's why I think it's, that's that's one dimensional. Let, let's, let's get three dimensional here. What it allows you to do is never have scared money in your sacred or speculative bucket that you have to pull out early. And that right there is what dooms most plans, even that are well done. So that cash reserves is a huge component wrapping together what I think is the holy grail of the first part of an investment plan, the defense, before we even worry about offense. And that is informed simplicity. Can I, with the simplest of ingredients, know exactly what I own, why, and remove taxes, costs, and risk at every turn. And then most importantly, if I'm really humble about this, could I hand it on one page to my wife? Because I wanna not only know am I okay, but would my family be okay if I wasn't around? And one of my, one of my rules that will eliminate about 91 of those 93 ingredients on the back there is, if I cannot explain it to my spouse, it does not belong in my house. And I know Carly Wood feels the same way and would body slam you and kick you upside the head with one of those jujitsu moves yep. if you didn't apply the same rule. I, I think that that's a really um, under discussed topic of this too, because, you know, you might be a super nerd like us and love this stuff and be able to run your own plan. But if something were to happen to that person in the relationship or both of them, and you're talking about kids or, or something unfortunate happening, are they also able to do this? while going through trauma and not, you know, having to redo their whole life. So I, I think there's a lot to that as well. I want to talk about the cash real quick, because this, this is a question I see a lot. I mean, I, I won't spend more than 20 seconds here, but a lot of people get bothered by having cash in their account. 
because they think, oh, this is a drag. There's inflation. There's this. But if you flip your thinking a little bit here, when you have the cash reserves sufficient enough, it allows you to not have any scared money in the other portions of your portfolio so that when the market inevitably goes through turbulence or downturn or recession or whatever happens or rate hike or whatever, you don't have scared money. You can keep it there and get the better returns that you are entitled to because you've got this sleep good money in your safe bucket. So it's a little bit of a turning of, of the way that you think in the sense of it's not that you're not taking risk with this, this money. It's that this money allows you to take more risk on the other side and sleep well in all markets, good or bad, because you've done your due diligence and your prudent in your planning with the cash reserve. And then you make it really simple. You can explain this at the dinner table. You know where the chicken is next to the broccoli. And and if, so, if the, the main finance nerd or money nerd leaves, passes away, whatever, the rest of the family is going to be okay. And that's, that's a topic that's important because the simpler the plan, the more you can explain it. Not only do you know that you're going to be okay, but the people that depend on you know that they'll be okay as well. And that is important. At least that's important for me. And it's important for every one of our clients. I think that's a great point. And, and not getting greedy on the safe stuff. It sounds simple, but that's really where people get fouled up the most. And what I've seen the biggest disasters are not what people know they're taking risk on. It's what people they know, they think they know that just ain't so on the conservative side, which is why we don't use that word. It's either risk-free or it's at risk. There is no in-between. All the in-between is that Velveeta and the crumblage. The safe money, especially when there's low yields and no return on cash, it is you're particularly vulnerable to some of Wall Street's best pitches of just a little bit more yield would be in this product. And there are a lot of class action suits that result from some of those products blowing up and they all have one thing in common. And I wanna leave this thought with why we say cash and get so excited about cash. It's also what it means everywhere else. You're not using leverage. You're not using the scared money. And this is not just for individual investors starting. Every single one of the smartest professionals I've ever seen carried out on their shield after even some of the best track records of all time, it all ended with too much concentration, too much leverage. Um, it's never the markets. It was too much leverage, using the wrong money. So I think if we start with a lockdown defense, you allow your offense to stay on the field uninterrupted. So um, love it. I, I, think, I think we have to start there. That's at least where I think um, peace of mind begins, knowing, not wondering, knowing that you're going to be okay. I think what you said there is brilliant. It's not conservative money. It's either risk-free or risk risky. There's risk. And I think it's important to under, draw that line and understand where the, where the investment sits. Um, all right. Well, next, next episode, we're going to do another deep dive into the next question, but hopefully this has been insightful. I know I absolutely love talking about this is one of my favorite topics, even though risk-free isn't as exciting as other things. It, it just makes me feel so good that you build this foundation, you build this part of the portfolio and part of the plan and what it allows you to do, what it unlocks is so exciting, but it, that fun stuff depends on this. And so this is kind of that crucial foundation. 
Um, well, hey, the good news is if you can answer these first two questions that we're going to make even more deep dives on, all of the sudden, everything else, and we're getting barraged with more digital information about investing, everything else can be heard and viewed correctly as the distraction that it is, which is the real aha moment, I think. Yep, I agree with you completely. It's brilliant. All right. Well, like I said, if anybody has any questions, leave a comment below. We're going to be monitoring the comments, so we'll get back to you absolutely uh, with questions. If you want to reach out to us, please reach out. We do this for people all over the country, and we love it. There's, I think I joke, and I say that this is really the only thing I'm good at in life. So I think it's probably true for both of us, but we're lucky because we found a profession that we enjoy. Um, all right. There is nobody debating or arguing that point in either one of our offices right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed. Thank you.